You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. We ask that you will make the hope of your word and the reality of who you are so real to us here this morning. Would you speak to us? Would you help us to know you better, to love you more, to be more like you, and to remember who we are in you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wish Gary Brashears was here this week, but he's um, preaching at another church. Um, I just wanted to point out to him that my ducks did win. Yesterday, righted the ship. Yeah, 70 to 14, I believe, was the score. And I heard the Beavers even won yesterday, too. Beavers are 2-0 and to start the season. Good job, Beaver fan. I'm sure there's one or two of you here, and that's good. We're, we're for you, too. I just, I got to be a little honorary. It's a spiritual gift I have. But moving, or an affliction, depending on, you know, how you look at that. But moving along into what really matters, it's been said that a picture tells a thousand words. And I think that's true of this picture. Do you know what today is? It's the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Now, I know that there are a fair number of you here who weren't even born. You've heard about this. Maybe you've read about it, but you weren't here when this happened. But for those of us who were, this was a defining moment. In fact, I read in a um, Pew Research poll yesterday that when it comes to people who were 30 years old and older, my people, 93% of us remember exactly what we were doing when we first heard about this. It was that significant and that impactful. So many emotions, so many images, so much comes to mind when you see a picture like that. A picture can sometimes tell a thousand words. Well, this morning, as we start this new series in the Gospel of John, John is going to paint a word picture for us that really does speak a thousand years. It's vivid, it's significant, it's profound, and it's necessary for us to do business with because it's practical, it's relevant, and it really is life-changing. So we do this every Sunday when we open God's Word, but we're going to be doing some lifting with theology, and actually at times some heavy lifting with the theology of what we're looking at. And theology at its you know, simplest form is, is um, the study of God. Really, it's our understanding of God. And as we dive into this this morning, it's important for all of us to, to understand and to recognize the question isn't if you have an a, the, a theology. Every single one of you do. The question is, what is your theology? And is it biblical? Is it true? Is it real? Is it representative? Does it, does it work? Because even the person who denies the existence of God has a theology. They have an understanding of God. Yeah, he doesn't exist. So we all, in some way, shape, or form, have a theology. But is it a biblical theology? And what's so interesting is that what we're about to read was written to a culture not unlike our very own today. There were a number of competing truths. 
And there were certainly folks who had the worldview that much of our culture does that, well, okay, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Truth was defined by what you chose to believe in. What you said was true. So just as truth is relative to many in our culture today, it was also the same for a fair number in the culture this was written to as well. But John, the writer of this gospel, is going to enter into this worldview debate. And he's necessarily going to force a defining moment issue for every single person, regardless of, of who you are. And it's this issue. Who was Jesus? And I would submit to you that is the most important question you could ever answer in your life. Well, you're a pastor and a Jesus follower. Of course you're going to say that, Pastor Jay. Yeah, but let's step back and do business with that. Who is the most influential person in world history? Far and away, hands down, doesn't matter how you regard him. It's Jesus. Do you realize that every major world religion has Jesus in it? They all want Jesus. Every single one of them. He's a prophet. He's a teacher. He's a sage. He's an avatar. He's a, he's a divine example. Whatever identity you put on him, he's in every world religion. There's no other historical figure like that. So regardless of who you think he is, it really is indisputable. He is the most influential person in world history. So that by its very nature necessitates you better know who he is. Who was he really? What was his true identity? And as we dive into this passage, these first five verses of John, we're just going to peel back some of the layers of what he says about Jesus' identity and what that means for you and, and for me. And as we do so, I just want to orient you to what's going on here because I think it is helpful, at least I hope it is. We're going to read in these opening verses and see that time and time again, John is talking about the word, the word, the word. And in the original language this was written in, in Greek, that word, the word, is the logos. The logos, the logos. And what's really important for you to understand, and for me to understand as well as we read this, is what the logos is. In Grecian thought, the Logos was the guiding principle of your life. It was your authority. It was your rationale. It was your purpose. It was your reason for living. So as we read this, understand this is what John is deliberately speaking to. And it was so brilliant how he does this because this was exactly where the culture was at the time. They were wrestling with what is the Logos what is my reason for living? What is my purpose? What is my life about? What gives my life meaning? But it's also written in such a way that any Jewish listeners of this who weren't yet Jesus followers would tune in and be able to very much understand and know what he was talking about. So with that equipping and that foundation, let's, let's get to it here and look at these opening verses of John. And as we do so, I would encourage you at some point fairly soon to go to the Bible Project and to watch their introduction overview of the Gospel of John. I mean, it's so significant, they actually break it into two parts. They do the first 12 chapters and then the final chapters, and that's going to give you a good big picture view, but we're going to drill down on these verses in particular this morning. So it says this, in the beginning was the Logos, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here we go. Let's, let's dive into this. It starts out, in the beginning was the word. You ever heard those blue highlighted letters before? In the beginning? Yes, someone just said it. Genesis. Any Jewish listener of this would have gone, oh, because they would know exactly what that was referring to. This goes all the way back to the book of beginnings, all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament and your Bible and mine, Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John now is giving us a placeholder in time. He's going all the way back to creation, right? Wrong. He's going further than that. In the beginning was, this word was, and this is important to understand, this was means already existing, unending, eternal. So what John is really saying here is the Logos goes all the way back before creation. The Logos was never created. The Logos existed before that. So at a time when all things were created, the Logos was already in continuing Existence. Oh, well, that begs the question then, what is the Logos? And John would say, you missed it entirely. That is the wrong question. The question is not, what is the Logos? The question is, who is the Logos? The Logos, the purpose, the meaning, the authority for your life is not a principle. It's not a creed. It's not a code. It's not a religion. It's a person. And who is that person? He will tell us as we go a little bit further into this opening chapter. For the law was given through Moses, talking Old Testament there, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what does this tell us about Jesus? Jesus existed before creation and is eternal. That is a major, audacious, significant statement. That is a huge Statement Huge then, huge now. But it actually gets better. Let's go on to see what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now here's that was again. means the same thing as the last was. Already existing, unending, eternal, in continuing existence before. Okay. With. With God. And this has significant meaning as well. Back in that culture in the ancient Near East... If you met with someone, had a meal with someone, spent time with someone, and you were trying to communicate, hey, we're, we're equal. I'm not above you. You're not above me. We're together. You would deliberately sit at the same level that they were. And it was called or understood as being in a face-to-face -face relationship. This with literally means in a face-to-face -face relationship. And then God, the God, the creator God, the God of the universe, the one true God is who we're talking about here. So what this is saying is at the time when all things were created, the Logos was in a face-to-face -face relationship with God. Who's the Logos? Jesus. What does this say about Jesus? Has an eternal relationship and equality with God. That's a huge statement. 
That is a mind-blowing statement, but it gets better. Look what it goes on to say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, once again, in the original language, there's a meaning here that we can sometimes lose. That was means the same thing, eternal, unending, already existing, but that God word means that the Logos had a quality, but also the quality, the characteristics of God was God, but was personally distinct from God the Father. So Jesus, the Logos, is God. At a time when all things were created, the Logos was already sharing the characteristics of God, is what this is saying. So, I know that's what some of you are thinking. And that's reasonable to ask that question. Maybe not quite so cynically or impatiently, but that is the question. Okay, great. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos. What does that mean to me? Why does this even matter? Can we cut to the chase and get to where this becomes practical? But this is where we really need to stay in the tension of what we're looking at here for just a little while longer. You have to understand and appreciate then that when we talk about the Logos, when we talk about the Word, when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about meaningless, philosophical, existential, mumbo-jumbo stuff. Can we cut to the chase with what really matters? We are talking about the reason for your life and mine, your purpose, your authority, rational authority for living. And for far too many of us, we don't think meaningfully about that. We just kind of want to move on and get to the good stuff. But this, this really is the good stuff. You see, we need to be more like a toddler. You been around a toddler at all lately? Toddlers go through this phase in their development. You remember what that phase is? And some of you are right there with kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews. They like to ask, why? Yes, all three of our kids went through this stage. And at first it was really fun. And then it got a little annoying at times because they would ask why questions that I didn't know the answer to. I mean, you ever had that experience? You're with a little kid, with a little toddler. Daddy, why did God make ants? Well, because it made him happy. God is the creator. He created us. He created everything we see. He, he loves to create. Why are there so many ants? Well, because um, there's a lot of ants. Okay, well... What do ants do, Dad? Why, why do they walk around? Why are they... Okay, well, they're, they're building a nest and gathering food, and why are there so many? I don't... They make little ants together? I, I don't know. Well, Dad, why did, Dad, why did God make ants? Well, we just answered that, because he, he gave him joy. He, he wanted to create them. Well, why? How about some ice cream? Ice cream! <laughs> now, behind Jesus... Ice cream is a good why. I mean, that's one of the ultimate whys, right? That's a food group. And, but you know what I'm saying. There are too many of us who don't ask why enough. Deeply. Necessarily. About your life. In many ways, the Greeks were way ahead of us on this. 
because this is where a lot of them were. There was a huge debate raging in their culture, not unlike the debate that's always simmering among the surface and, and bubbling up around us in our culture about what's, what's it all about? What is the why? What is the why to life? And there were really two camps that they had divided in. There were others, but there were two main schools of thought when this was written that John very deliberately was speaking to. One was the school of the Epicureans. And their thinking was, well, there really isn't a why, so you make the why. So life is about now. YOLO. You only live once. Live it up, party, live for the weekend. Get as much as you can, as quick as you can, as often as you can with whatever that is, because that's all you're going to get. All you have is now. This is as good as it's going to get. Does that philosophy, does that worldview, does that bent, does that line of thinking ever surface in our culture? Seriously? It's a huge part of our culture. It has different clothes. We give it different names. It looks a little differently, but it's still the same. Okay, well, if not that, then the other school of thought was the Stoics. And the Stoics said, yes, there isn't a true answer to why, but live like there is one anyway. So be moral. Be a good person. Do your best. Try to be generous when you can. Live like you have purpose anyway. Act your way into it, so to speak. Do you know... Year in and year out, what's usually in the top five, sometimes the number one New Year's resolution every year for us as Americans, I want to be a good or better person. In the top five every year, depending on how the pendulum is swinging in our culture, sometimes it's number one. If you could change anything, what would you change? Oh, I'd be a better person. Why? Once again, a school of thought, a way of living, a pattern of life that is still among us today. And what those two schools of thought have in common is they have given up on the ultimate why. And that's largely where this culture was. Was they had come to the conclusion, yeah, there really isn't a why, so live like there is, or because there isn't, then figure it out on your own. Live for pleasure. Live for what you can make life. And what they both have in common is they're both ultimately empty. And either school of thought means you're settling for far less than what you could have because there's the promise of better. And this is where all these spiritual realities that we just looked at about Jesus now come to have real, real significance. Because John will go on to say this profoundly hopeful and significant statement. In him, and notice this is where He's starting to make it personal about Jesus. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. What John is basically asserting here is if you don't have Jesus, if you don't need know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if he's not your logos, if he's not your reason, your purpose, your rationale, your authority for living, you're not really living. You were settling for so far less than what you could really have. You believe that? Well, let's take that for a test drive. So if you've been with us this summer, 
we very deliberately went through this series on generosity because when Jesus comes into your life, when he begins to make you into who you truly are created to be, your true identity, you will become a generous person in all facets of your life. And we looked at what that was like. And if you were with us last week, you remember that Gary Brashears helped us look at some of what it means to be generous with time. And this is just a, an expression of that, a form of that. So what does it mean to be generous with your work? Because in our culture, work is very, very important. Either doing it or escaping from it, right? But work's a huge issue for us. And we live in a culture that oftentimes makes us over-identify with work. We buy into that, that that's, that is our identity, and workaholism comes from that, that I get my value, I get my self-concept, my self-esteem, my joy, my satisfaction from constantly being busy. Remember that? Gary talked about that reality, that many of us wear our busyness like a badge of honor. When is that really one of the core foundational defining things about our identity? And of course, work has its place. But is that exclusively who we are as we just, we work? And I'm so grateful that Gary steered into this because Gary knows something about this because Gary has a full life. I gave up trying to keep up with Gary Brashears like 30 years ago when I first met the guy. I mean, he runs at a pace that is crazy, but it's actually not. It's by choice. He's not a workaholic. He deliberately fills his, his life so that it's full. And he finds joy and satisfaction in, in what he does. And quite frankly, I want to be like that. I want to find joy and satisfaction in, in, in what I do, in, in the work that I do. And you know, one of those ways that our culture tells us to define work and that things get out of balance is we get too much of our identity from it and we over-identify with it. And then we consider things demeaning or devaluing that are work that we choose not to do because of what others in our culture say about it or even what we can personally think about it. But when you begin to realize, when you begin to understand that if Jesus is your logos, if he's the word, if he's your God, it completely changes how you view work. And you can find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in whatever you do. Not in overworking and not necessarily in being concerned about what it is you're doing, but finding joy and satisfaction in whatever is happening. I, I want to be like that because that's really living. And that's the point. We'll look at this together as we progress through the Gospel of John and Sean will help us see more of it next week when we continue on in this, but... Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? We'll, we'll go there. Because Jesus not only gives us life, because of these realities we've looked at together, he gives us meaning. He gives us, he gives us purpose. You know, one of the things that stuck with me from Gary's sermon and the word last week really caused me to think, quite honestly, imagine that, is his statement, and necessarily so, that our culture says you really have to work hard so that you can make it. And he asked us, do you remember, for those of you who are here, what's the it? Work really hard so that you can make it. Okay, 
What's the it? So I begin to think about my life and how elusive at times that it has been. So I, I went back to middle school because I, I can't really remember elementary school, so I started at middle school, which I think that if there was a purgatory, I don't believe in purgatory, but if there was, it's middle school, right? <laughs> I don't know that I've ever talked to anyone over the course of my life who has said middle school was the best part of my life. It was, it was the greatest season of my life. Usually it's, man, I'm glad I survived. I'm glad I emerged from middle school and it wasn't purgatory and I lived in it forever, right? It's, so middle school, what's your focus in middle school? Survival, okay. So you're looking forward to high school because high school is it. So you get to high school and yes, you're necessarily looking forward to all these freedoms. You get a drive eventually, hopefully, and you know, you get more responsibilities, more opportunities. You're treated more like an adult, whatever you want to fill in the blank there that makes you look forward to it. And you get to high school and then you're told, well, you know what? This really isn't it. There's another it, and it's coming. It's the next season of your life. Maybe it's college, so if it is, you better get good grades. You better work hard now so that you can get into a good college. Or maybe it's entering the workforce or starting into a career, or, you know, so you're looking forward to finishing high school to make enough money to just do whatever, right? But there's another it, and then you get to that it. You get to college, and then you're told, you know what, if that's your bent, um, you know what, you need to get good grades in college because you need to get a good job. So you better work hard, better do your best, better produce. Or if you're in a career, it's, you know, if you want to climb the ladder around here and make more money, be able to have more fun, you better show up to work on time, you better work hard. You know, whatever that bent is, there's another it. And then you get to that it, you graduate from college, you land your first job, and you realize this isn't it. Maybe I want to get married. Or maybe I want to be single. Again, whatever bent you choose. But that's, that's, that's the next it, is to, to get to that. So, so then you get married, and, well, you know, I, 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 I'm glad I got married, but I'd like to have kids. And so you have kids. And again, not everybody does this, but we'll just go along that bent for a while. You have kids, and, you know, and then you're in the diaper stage. And at one point, all three of our kids were in diapers. And we thought, well, life is diapers. And then one of them gets out of diapers, and you go, holy cow, this isn't it. There's a better one. It's the diaper-free life. And then you get to that, and then they can actually get into their car seat and buckle themselves. And then, and then they, they start having these fun things that they go to with sports, and you get to go to that. And then, you know, depending on if you homeschool or private school or whatever, whatever that is, you know, there's, there's that, and that's happening. And then, well, someday they're going to be able to drive themselves to their own things. And you cross that line, and you go, oh, this is it. But no, it gets better. They actually leave. They, you know, there's an empty nest, right? And Jamie and I are looking forward to that. We were empty nesters for three months, about five years ago, and now it's coming back. So we're going to be empty nesters here real soon. And so, you know, we're looking forward to that, and you realize that's not it. Retirement is it. So you work really hard and plan for retirement, and you get to retirement, and that's not it. Grandkids are what's it. Can you please get busy over here? We'd like some grandkids, right? <laughs> Okay, we spent far too much time on that. But do you get the point? How come we can't find satisfaction and joy with what's now, with what's here, with what's right in front of us? Why is there always another it? Is it really possible in each season, in each stage, with all of its struggles and joys and difficulties and heartaches and blessings to find joy and satisfaction? If Jesus is your Logos, if he is your God, the answer is absolutely yes. It is possible. 
That is in part what John is asserting and proclaiming here. But it even gets better than that. He goes on to say, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, there's hope. And we'll look at those realities of light and darkness in greater detail as we get deeper into this book and even starting next week. But there's darkness, isn't there? Is anything in our culture broken? Is anything in your life not going the way you know it should be? Of course that's true. And you know, something significant happened that was defining with 9-11. It wasn't just that 9-11 happened. For those of us who were there, for those of us who can remember that, there was a loss of innocence that happened for our country and our culture then. Because for many of us, we had always thought, oh, terrorism? Yeah, that happens over there. That happens overseas. That happens in those other countries. And then it happened here. And we collectively realized as a country, and sociologists have written tons of books and observations about this, all of a sudden we realized it could happen here. It could happen to me. And that is the reality of living in a broken world, is that, yeah, it really can happen to you. It's not always someone else who that happens to. And we have a generation, two generations, who are coming up behind us for, for those of us 30 and over who are incredibly anxious. Never seen anything like it. There is a level of anxiety in our younger generations we've never experienced before as a culture. And there's a discouragement and a despondency that has settled in among them. And for the first time, poll after poll shows that these younger generations, for the first time in the history of taking polls in our country, believe that life will not be as good for them as it is for the generations that have preceded them. For the first time, they're saying, yeah, we're, we're not really hopeful that we're going to have that. Life won't be as good for us as it has been for those who have gone before us. And so, even more frenetically and frantically, our culture looks for the answer. What's the fix? Well, you know, the midterms are coming, and so if we can just get the right people in power, if we can get the right person in power, then that is what's going to fix everything and make everything okay. That message is loud and clear with whatever political affiliation you have or don't have. That's the message right now. If we could just get our people in power, things are going to be okay. That's what's going to fix things. Who are our people so I can support them, you know? Or if we could just eliminate the isms that are going on in our culture, racism and sexism and whatever ism blank you want to fill in, if we could just eradicate and eliminate that, we'd, we'd be so much better. Or if we could just get a hold of our justice issues, if we could just solve those things, then all that is going to fall into place and things are going to be so much better. And please understand and hear me, all those things have their place and all those things have their utility, but are those the answer? And the answer is no. If we're looking to those things for our hope, those are constantly going to fall short. Politics and principles and creeds and codes and religions do not fully, truly change the human heart. Only an inside-out change through Jesus Christ 
is what changes the human heart. Because you see, hope isn't about what you know, it's about who you know. And that's what John is proclaiming in these opening verses. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is who John declares him to be, then that means that this broken world around us where there's darkness is not always going to stay that way. In fact, if we go back to those verses, it proclaims that the darkness has not overcome the light. In fact, what it's saying is light is going to prevail. We know how all this is going to turn out. God is in the process of redeeming and restoring and repairing and renewing this broken, dark world to be what he always intended it to be. And that is our mission. That is our mandate as the church. We are the hope of the world because of Jesus Christ in us. So wherever we see brokenness and we can do something about it, we do. That's what we're called to do, is to bring the kingdom of God. My friends, as bad as things are, you have to hear this. As bad as things are in your heart and your life today, the promise of Jesus being the Logos and the Word and the one true God is that things will get better. If not in this life, in the life to come. And as good as things are in this life, they're going to get better. And that's the hope we have. And that's the hope that John is trying to anchor us and root us in and help us remember. So I got a call from Nancy Harris on Monday morning, um, Labor Day Monday, this last Monday, that Gene had taken a turn for the worse and that he was in the ICU at the hospital and could I come, come visit him? He had asked if I would, and I said, absolutely. So um, went to the hospital, and Nancy and I went into the ICU together after we had talked with some of her family and, and then went into the room, and, and Gene was still um, lucid and able to interact, and we talked, and... I read him a passage out of Psalm 73 and some of the promise there and the hope that's there. And I said, Gene, are you afraid? Are you afraid to die? And he said, nope. I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting this battle with cancer and I'm ready to go be with the Lord. My friends, that's not about a creed or a code or a principle. You don't manufacture that kind of hope. You don't fabricate it. You don't create it. That's a hope that comes from knowing the one true God, from knowing the Logos, from knowing the Word. You see, there is a chasm of difference between knowing about God and knowing God. So this is where John is going this morning and in the weeks and months to come. Is he your God? Is he your logos? Is he your purpose, your meaning, your life? Because he wants to be and he can be. So as our worship team comes and as we prepare to respond to God's word this morning, the question stands, is, is he your God? And there is a defining moment when you choose to receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior, to make him your God. There may be some of you here this morning who realize, I've, I've never really done that. I know about God, but I don't know that I know God. We want to invite you 
He invites you to receive him into his life. We're going to pray in just a moment and give you the opportunity to do that. And then when we're done praying for that, I'm going to pray for those of you who do know the Lord. That as we sing this next song that talks about offering ourselves in worship, that you would do that once again this morning, as you've already been doing. That you would say, Jesus, you are my hope. You are my purpose. My identity comes from you and what you say about me. We'll have that response together here in just a minute. But let me pray for us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes if that will help you concentrate and, and hear the Lord and respond to his spirit as he works. But Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who isn't quite sure if they know you as their God, that they would choose to receive you and respond to you by inviting you into their lives, by just saying between you and them, Jesus, I, I want you. I need you. I want you to be my life. And Lord, I pray for those here in the room who do know you, who do love you. Lord, would you remind us all over again of what you've done for us, what you promise us, that you do give us life and purpose and hope. Would we choose to offer ourselves in worship to you now, declaring all over again that we love you, that you're with us and near to us, and that you want to give us hope. So Lord, would you do just that? And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Has love awakened you this morning? I, I, I hope it has. And if you made that decision to receive Jesus into your life, would you tell someone about that this morning? I would love to hear that. Come talk to me. Talk to the person who brought you. Talk to one of our prayer team. And we have prayer team up front here, and we're happy to bring that back again. We used to be able to do that before this thing called COVID came along, and now we're able to bring that back again. We believe in the power of prayer. We take James chapter 5 seriously in the New Testament that says the, the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man, is powerful and effective. We really do believe that. And so if there's anything we can pray for you about, would you please come and pray with these teams? I know them personally. They're fantastic. And they love the Lord. And we would love to be able to pray with you in anything. But I'd like to leave you with where we started this morning with these words. And I... I'd ask again for you to let these words sink in. Think about the reality that John is, is calling us to and what this means for our lives as we prepare to walk out these doors. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's our logos. That's the word. That's our reality. Because at the end of the day, this isn't about a principle or a code or a creed or a religion. It's about a relationship, about a person, the one true God who invites you to know him and to love him 
because he has first loved me and you. So let me pray his blessing over us as we prepare to go from here. Lord, I pray that your word would sink deeply into our hearts. Too often I settle for lesser identities or even broken ones. Too often I forget that I have a purpose. My life has meaning. You are my authority and you are my God. I pray that would be true for every person here. That as we go from here, we would remember who we are and then we would live that out because you are the God who has first loved us. Thank you for this time to be together and have community. Now would we go be the church by living out what you've done for each one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Go and live for him and look forward to seeing you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.